Just one? Okay. And we've got, we've got the digital version as well for those of you who are acquainted with that. So feel free to use the digital version with the QR code as well if you'd like to get the study sheet that way. Uh, but we have, yeah, you've got to get on the Wi-Fi and then use the QR code and then, you got, and then, then you're well on your way. All right, well, I, I am excited to say again that we are kicking off a, a new series this morning going verse by verse through the book of First Thessalonians. And, and man, I, I didn't plan to kick this series off on the same weekend that college football kicked off, but hey man, if they're going to kick off on the same week, you better believe I'm going to capitalize on titling my message that way. I mean... If it's, you're going to set it up for me like that, then, I'm, then, that's, then that's what I'm going to do. But man, you know, there's, there's a lot of, it's kind of crazy how it works, but there is a lot of thought and prayer that goes into deciding where we're going to go as a, as a church next in our, in our Sunday morning series. You know, when, when you're going verse by verse through a book of the Bible, a lot of you guys know this, but... When you go verse by verse through a book of the Bible, you can be in the same book for just a for just a little bit of time, you know. Now, Corey would have never done that, but but there are other people I know that would have been in a book for a long time, in, uh, in not the least of which are uh, just about every other pastor I know, so uh, self included. So anyway, you can be there for for quite a for quite a period of time. And man, when you when you look back at the at the lives and you look back at the ministries of, of pastors through the years, something that I've discovered as I've done that is, is they don't get to near as many places as you would think they would get when it's all said and done, right? There, man, there are 66 books in the Bible. You're going through it verse by verse. And so when I think about that, I just can't help but take wherever we're headed I know when my time on earth is done, I will only have gotten so far as well. And so I, I want to I capitalize on whichever books I do have the privilege uh, of, of preaching. I'm excited about where we're headed. I do believe that the Lord has led us to the book of 1 Thessalonians. And, and, and as we begin this study, I, I can't in good conscience just dive right into the, to verse 1 and start trying to pull out as much practical stuff as I, as I possibly can. To begin, I'd like to give everybody at least a, a little bit of a better, a better understanding of what our approach to the Bible is in this church. And, and I won't have time to exhaust this. But I do want to at least give you guys an idea of this approach. And, and this approach has a lot to do with the keys and the principles of Bible study and understanding those. So, for example, every time somebody stands behind this pulpit, you can rest assured that they're going to use the key or principle of Bible study that we sometimes call the key of comparison. We, we sometimes call it comparing Scripture with Scripture, and that's based on what we learn from 1 Corinthians 2.13. Now, why do we do it that way here? Well, we believe that the Bible is a self-defining book, okay? And what that means is, is that in order to understand the Bible, you compare a word or a concept in a passage to how that same word or concept is used elsewhere in the Bible in another passage, okay? And you say, okay, well, what's the big deal about that? Okay, whatever. 
Well, the big deal is, is that when you start going outside of the Bible to define the Bible, then what's your actual source of truth ultimately? It's whatever source it is that's outside of the Bible. And, and, and I don't think I need to explain why that can be problematic. The Bible is the ultimate source of truth and is the final authority on all matters, and so we let it define itself. And, and as we compare Scripture with Scripture, not, not only does it, does it help define what exactly is going on in a particular passage, it helps us keep that passage in its proper context. Okay, of course, context is, a, is another huge and key principle of Bible study. Keeping a verse in its context is really the key of Bible study that all the other keys keep falling back towards. We are as good as clueless as we study the Bible together if we don't understand context. Because you can make the Bible say anything you jolly well please if you pull it out of its, out of its context. Has anybody here ever experienced their words being taken out of context before? Anybody? Oh, you have? Well, you're in good company because it happens to God all the time. And, 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 and man, we, we, you know, this is why there are so many religions in the world is because of violating this key of Bible study. And we could spend months diving into the various keys of Bible study, but hopefully that at least gives you an idea of just a couple of the principles that should be used as we study the Bible. It's very important to me that, that I don't just throw you some little tidbits of biblical knowledge for you to take with you for your week. Yeah, I'd like to be able to, to do that, but I want you to understand how I arrived at those conclusions, and I want you to be able to apply the same keys and principles to your own Bible study so that you can get those truths for yourself. Now, certainly Sunday morning is a time where the body of Christ is, is to be fed. But again, it's very important that we understand how to feed ourselves. I'd never want to take the Bible out of your hands and make it seem like you've got to go to some pastor to get the deep truths of the Bible. I want to put the Bible in your hands so you can study it for yourself and arrive at those truths for yourself. So, so as we approach this incredible book of First Thessalonians, I, I would like for us to do exactly what I just mentioned, and I would like us to set the context by comparing Scripture with Scripture, and, and one of the best ways that I think we can set the context of a book as we begin studying a book of the Bible is to answer the key investigative questions. You guys know the key investigative questions, don't you? Who, where, how, when, what, why? Okay, so we need to put our Sherlock Holmes hats on for just a minute, right? You can keep the keep put on the hat. You should probably leave his pipe at home, but put on the hat. Put on the Sherlock Holmes hat for a minute, and 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 that and that brings us to point number one on your outline is who wrote it? Who wrote the book of First Thessalonians? And in in verse one of First Thessalonians one answers that question. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus. Now, most of us are very familiar with Paul. You know, he obviously was used by God to write 13 of the 27 books in the, in the New Testament. The other two are more familiar than you may think. 
We don't usually see their names in that form. Silvanus is actually Silas, and Timotheus is, is Timothy. Silvanus and Timotheus are the Greek renderings of the Hebrew names Silas and Timothy, so that's how we'll refer to them. This, this letter is written to the Greeks, so to identify with them, they use the Greek renderings of the name. Now listen, we are headed into all kinds of goodies in this series and, and today, um, but I need you to hang with me on some, of the, on some of the details so that we can really grasp what's going on and we can springboard from here as we move forward, okay? The next investigative question I want us to answer is where? Where is Thessalonica? And, and if, you'll, if you'll pull that map up for me, Ryan, we will, we, will, we will see where Thessalonica is. There it is, okay. Now, I know a lot of you guys are geographically challenged, as am I, but... I do want you to be able to get your bearings. I think this helps this, what's going on in this book, I think it helps it come alive when you can understand what's actually going on here. So what happened is, is the Romans had taken Greece. You see Greece there in the, towards the middle. The Romans had taken Greece. They divided it into two parts. You see the northern part is Macedonia, and you see that southern part there is Achaia. And, and, and up in the, the northern part of Macedonia, there are, some, there are some main cities. And of course, we've got Philippi, and of course, we've got Thessalonica. Uh, Berea is another one. It's not pictured, but it's in, in that same vicinity. So that's where Thessalonica is. When you, go, when you look over to the right of the screen, you can see even where Antioch was, which is a major hub of everything going on. And of course, this big region of Asia Minor, which you see come up in the Bible all the time. And so I just wanted us to take a quick second to get our bearings. Obviously, you're, you're seeing where Italy is. Okay, so th these are the areas that, that Paul is traveling. And in, as we compare Scripture with Scripture, we see a whole lot out of, verse, uh, out of Acts 16. Okay, so... But by the time we get to Acts 16, Paul has already, he's already completed his first missionary journey. Paul would bounce around from city to city, sharing the gospel and establishing churches. And in that first, in that first missionary journey, you guys remember who his partner was? Barnabas. That's right. It's Barnabas. Now, initially, Paul and Barnabas, they were going to bring with them, if you'll recall, a guy by the name of John Mark. Okay, and so Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark, these guys roll out. They head out on this missionary journey where they're going to make multiple stops and they're going to share the gospel all along the way. So they head out from Antioch, as you can see on the map. And before they even get started, John Mark wimps out and goes back to Mama, right? And, but Paul and Barnabas, they continue on and they, they go on throughout Asia Minor preaching the gospel and establishing churches. And then they ultimately work their way back to Antioch. And, and, and they're teaching at Antioch for a while, where they, which is actually where they began. And, and after a while, in chapter 15 of Acts, Paul says to Barnabas, hey, let's go back to all of these churches that God used us to start. Let's check on them, see how they're doing, and get these brothers more established in the faith. And of course, sisters too. 
And, and, and Barnabas liked that idea. He said, yeah, Paul, I'm with you, bro. Let's, uh, let's bring my guy, John Mark, though, and let's give, him another, let's give him another go of this thing. And Paul basically says, hold the phone. John Mark, that mama's boy is staying at home. Right? He, he's not coming with me. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Now, John Mark is, is actually Barnabas' nephew, so you can see why he's, you know, that's, it, that's his guy. But, but as a result of this disagreement regarding whether John Mark was coming, Paul goes one way, Barnabas goes the other way. Okay, And so Paul and Barnabas separate, and this is where Silas enters the story. We see this in Acts 15, 39 through 41. It's Silas, like we saw, of course, is one of the three writers of the book of 1 Thessalonians. And, and then verse 40 tells us that, that Paul chose Silas. Okay, and then two verses later in Acts 16.1, that's where we're introduced to Timothy, who of course is one of the other writers of the book of 1 Thessalonians and one of the other people that was, that was a part of starting the church at Thessalonica along with Paul and Silas. Okay, so don't let, don't let me lose you here. Okay, we're, I know we're storytelling, we're, get, we're, we're getting somewhere, but I want you to understand how we got where we're going. So, so Paul and Silas go through Syria and Cilicia to confirm the churches, churches that Paul and Barnabas started are doing. And Paul and Silas come to Derby and Lystra, according to Acts 16. And this is where they meet Timothy. Okay, so you're tracking with this whole thing, right? This is how these fellows end up getting together. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. This is how the band gets together, right? You guys have seen VH1 behind the music, right? You know, the Beatles, the Beach Boys or whatever, you know. Oh, well, and this is where we met Ringo. And then, you know, we were somewhere else and we got introduced to, you know, John Lennon and, you know, yeah, 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 Brian Wilson, whatever, right? This is how the band got together. These were the events occurring to bring these guys together. It stems from Paul and Barnabas go separate ways and then Silas goes with Paul to establish these churches in the faith, and along their journey, not far along the way, Timothy enters the scene, and of course, these three guys ultimately write the book of 1 Thessalonians and start the church at Thessalonica. Now, a few more verses down in Acts 16 in verse 6, would you look at it with me? And believe it or not, I've got Acts 16 on my shirt this morning. This was an accident, actually. I did not even realize what passage was on this shirt? I didn't remember it. So you don't need the slideshow. You can just, if you grab your binoculars, it is right here, if we could read together. But anyway, I didn't even realize that, but it is on my shirt. Acts 16, 6, verse 6 says, They were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Okay, well, how would you like that? You'd think that God would never be opposed to sharing the word somewhere. He, they were forbidden to preach the word in Asia. That's interesting, okay? So these guys are going along. They're trying to follow the leading of the Lord in their lives. They've been spending all that time in Asia Minor, like we saw on the map, and they would have no doubt continued in Asia Minor if the Holy Ghost wouldn't have forbidden them to. Now, now even as we're just setting the stage and setting the context of this passage that we're going to be studying, there's a whole lot we can learn from that. God opens doors, but God closes doors too, and he's clearly closing a door in this instance, 
And it was important for these three men to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. His ways are not our ways, y'all. We, we don't always understand why certain doors close, and then we're sometimes shocked to see other doors open. And it's important that we're walking in the Spirit so that we can follow the leading of the Spirit. So, so God ultimately leads them to Troas, is what He does. And so, man, He's waiting on a word from the Lord in Troas, Paul is, and and this is where God gives him what you know as the Macedonian call. You've probably heard that before. There's a guy in Macedonia saying, hey, come, come help us. Now again, Macedonia, keep in mind, is northern Greece. Right across the way is, is Philippi, and then not much further is Thessalonica. So again, Paul and Barnabas split. Paul picks up Silas and Timothy. God shuts that door in Asia. They come to Troas, and God leads them to Macedonia. And you see, this was something new, okay? They'd been in Asia, and Macedonia is part of Europe. So God's plan was to get the gospel over to Europe. And we're seeing how God works, and we're seeing how he moves, and we're seeing how he opens doors, and how he closes doors. And so God closed a door... But not as a means to an end. God closed a door in order to open another door, just as he so often does in our lives. And, and so they worked their way to Thessalonica, according to Acts 17.1. And, and as we begin looking at Acts 17, and, and as we continue laying this foundation and setting the context for the book of 1 Thessalonians, and looking at how this church got started, how did this church in Thessalonica get there, what I would like for us to do is, is look at what God recorded for us in Acts chapter 17 and, and see how Paul, Silas, and Timothy went about reaching people with the gospel and starting this church in Thessalonica. Uh, of, of course, this is what inspired the writing of the book that we're studying, which is 1 Thessalonians. But when we look back at this and we see how this church was started and how these brothers worked back in that day, I think we can learn a lot from what these guys were up to. And, and man, certainly Silas and Timothy, these guys, were, these guys were no slouches. But man, when we talk about Paul, we're talking about the greatest evangelist and the greatest missionary that's ever lived. Okay, so how did he approach reaching people with the gospel when he established the church at Thessalonica and, of course, others along the way? But this is specifically about Thessalonica. What can we learn about their approach to reaching people with the gospel? You see, the church at Thessalonica didn't just appear by osmosis, Right? They, the church was started in Thessalonica because Paul, Silas, and Timothy were reaching people with the gospel. People were getting saved, so there was a need for a church. That's how it happened. But in order for there to be a need for a church in Thessalonica, they had to reach people with the gospel to do that. Now pick up with me in, in verse 1 of Acts chapter, chapter 17. Verse 1 of Acts 17. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. Okay, so what I want you to see is, is that, that these guys, that Paul, they, they, they had a strategy, and they, and they head to the synagogue of the Jews. 
And what I want you to see, letter A in your outline is, is that they went to the people. Letter A in your study sheet. They went to the people. They left home. They went to Thessalonica. And they go to the synagogue. And I know that sounds pretty basic. But do you realize how unbelievably significant and huge that is? They went to a specific place for the purpose of reaching people with the gospel. And, and since many of us are aware that Paul did that all the thinking time, we don't think much of that. Yeah, 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 that's what he did. That's what Paul did. But as we look at that example from Paul, I think we need to ask ourselves, when was the last time that we did anything where the purpose behind where we went and doing what we did was in hopes of meeting people to share the gospel with them. Listen, some of us have more opportunities than others at work or school or at the gym or whatever it may be. But regardless of that, why is it so far away from the way that our minds work to consider finding more ways to get around people that are in desperate need of the life-changing truth of the gospel. This is what Paul did. They, what's so crazy about joining a softball league or a basketball league? Sure to have fun. What's so crazy to do it for the primary purpose of getting around unbelievers? What's so crazy about joining a book club for the primary purpose of getting around unbelievers what's so crazy about going to the gym at the same time in the same place in hopes of seeing the same people so that god may open doors for you to share the love of god with them what's so crazy about going to the same restaurant at the same day in the same place at the same time in hopes of seeing the same co work the same employees so that you might have an opportunity to share the gospel with them what's so crazy about finding any way that we possibly can to get the message of the gospel to as many people as we can before it's too late that's not crazy y'all that's the commission that's the great commission that's what it meant when jesus said go that's the mission we inherited the day we got saved and we became ambassadors for christ we became his representatives in the world and somewhere along the way, we became content with sharing our faith to that one or two people every few years. And I'm trying to get us to see that the, that the reason we're sharing our faith with one to two people every few years is because we don't make any effort to get in front of people that don't believe. When God commissioned us to go and make disciples, that commission necessitated action on our part. And this church in Thessalonica, it was started because Paul, Silas, and Timothy said, we're going to go where the people are. They said, we're going to go to Thessalonica, and we're headed to the synagogue. And that brings us to the next thing that I'd like us to glean from how the church at Thessalonica was started. Look at that same verse again with me in Acts 17 and verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the jews okay so th th this is this is interesting the synagogue was already there so letter b paul he used the infrastructure that was already there 
Well, use the infrastructure that was already there. Paul and the crew used the infrastructure that was already there, and they went to them to share the gospel. And the point is, is not that it always has to be that way. In order for us to be used to reach people with the gospel, it doesn't mean you always use some sort of infrastructure that's already in place. What I'm trying to get you to see, though, is, is that there was a strategy, and these brothers didn't check their brain at the door. Okay, They used the brains that God gave them, and as we've already seen, they relied on the Spirit's leading, but they used their brains for the kingdom. What a great use of those things. You see, most of us have no problem using our brains to think of a wide variety of things. It's amazing what we can come up with to save a few bucks. Like, we will just sit there and, you know, bounce from website to website and get on these YouTube tutorials to do a DIY at the house, which we almost always regret. You know, we will do whatever, it, all in the name of saving a few bucks. Man, it's amazing how innovative we can be and we come up with all these ideas but when it comes to reaching people with the gospel we leave our brain at the door well i'm praying that god will just open up a door utterance for me that will slap me upside the back of the head today as i go on my way and sure and sure god opens and closes doors but i think what god wants to teach us as we observe how the church of thessalonica began is that he wants us to care enough about the mission that he gave us to not check our brain at the door, but to use it to strategize as to ways we can reach people with the truth of the gospel. And there's a lot of ways that we can do similar things. You know, many of you know that before my dad went home to be with the Lord about a year and a half ago, he was, my dad was training over a thousand pastors in Malawi, Africa. Malawi is the eighth poorest country in the world at the moment. And you know how he was able to reach so many people in such a short amount of time in Malawi, Africa? So over the course of, I guess, eight years or so, I guess. Now, of course, God had his hand on him and, and all those things. But one of the reasons he was able to reach so many pastors is because just like Paul, he utilized the infrastructure that was already there. You see, the pastors in Malawi and, and, and some of those surrounding regions, they, they already met regularly in what they call fraternals. Fraternals. So there would be fraternals in these different areas. They would meet on a semi-regular basis. And so you know what him and some of the fellow laborers did? They got permission to speak at one of the fraternals. And, and, and then they received the truth that, that he was preaching. You have to understand that the prosperity gospel, especially in third world countries, is rampant there. And, and many other false doctrines for that matter. But but they get in front of their frater that fraternal and they do their thing. And so just like Paul, Silas, and Timothy did in the synagogue, my dad was doing something similar with these fraternals. And I tell you that story, I tell you that story just so that maybe we can train our brains to begin to think that way. You remember last week when I was talking about the, the feeding of the 5,000? I think that was last week. They, the disciples bring Jesus five loaves and two fishes and they say, What's this among so many people? What good is that going to do us? But Jesus wasn't worried about that. And what Jesus essentially said was, is what do you have? And I think that rings true this morning. What do you have? In other words, based on what you have, based on how God shaped you, your interests, your hobbies, your talents, 
Based on that, how could God use you for his glory? And where is there already an infrastructure in place where you could jump in, you could get around unbelievers, and God could use what you have and how he made you for his glory and ultimately reach people with the truth? Listen, I am a fellow struggler, y'all. I really am, but I am convinced that nearly all of Christianity is missing the boat on this thing. I am convinced this is an epidemic. So we, we've seen that, that Paul went to the people, and, and he didn't check his brain at the door, but he used the infrastructures that were in place. And, and something else that we can glean from how Paul and the crew reached people with the gospel, which ultimately started the church at Thessalonica, is letter C. He knew the scriptures. Let her see. He knew the scriptures. Acts 17 and verse 2 is where we get this. And, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them. In other words, just like I was mentioning, Paul going into the synagogue is a strategy he used regularly. He went in unto them in three Sabbath days. He reasoned with them out of the scriptures. If Paul reasoned with them out of the scriptures, it necessitated that he knew the scriptures, and he didn't just know it well enough to be able to quote a few verses. In fact, at this point, he, he would have had the whole Old Testament memorized. But for our purposes this morning, I, I want us to see that he knew the scriptures well enough to be able to walk into a group of people and walk them through them and adequately explain it so that they might believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you know what's always been wild to me? The Jehovah's Witnesses that knock on our door can take you to the Bible to prove their false beliefs better than those that actually believe the truth can take you to the Bible to, believe, to prove the truth from the Bible. I, I would venture to say that the vast majority of true believers on this planet, those that believe that Jesus was God in human flesh and have called on his name to save them, that believe in the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, have trusted him alone for salvation, True, those people that are so thankful for their salvation don't know the scriptures well enough to actually take somebody else to them to show them how they can be saved. It's the craziest thing in the world to me. But as God was establishing the church at Thessalonica, we, we see how God was using Paul and the fellas to do that. We see they knew the scriptures because they were able to reason with the people out of them. They knew what they believed. They knew why they believed it. And the same verse also teaches us something else about how, how Paul reached the people, which ultimately, of course, started the church at Thessalonica. It teaches us, letter D, that he was reasonable. He was reasonable. Like we saw in Acts 17, 2, it says that they reasoned with them out of the scriptures. Listen, in order to reason with someone, you have to be reasonable. Now I get it. Everybody likes it when somebody just tells somebody how it is, and, and, and there's probably a time and a place for that, but we need to understand it's not here. The approach to these people that had never understood the truth of Jesus Christ was that they reasoned with them. They, they didn't smack them upside the back of the head with a hardback Bible that's not how they rolled. They didn't scream at him. They re reasoned with him. Let's, let's just talk about this for a second. Let's just be reasonable and think about this whole thing for just a second. 
And when you do that for just a second and you process this thing of life, many people find that what the Bible teaches is very reasonable. In fact, there's no other alternative that I have ever heard to the origins of man and the purpose of life that has ever come close to being reasonable other than what the Bible teaches. The fifth thing that's important for us to see from the way that Paul reached people with the gospel, which ultimately led to starting a church in Thessalonica, is letter E. He knew his audience. He knew his audience. Now remember, Paul's in a synagogue of the Jews in this passage. So so he has a Jewish audience. This Jewish audience would have been extremely familiar with the Old Testament. Now pick up with me again in Acts 17.2. It says, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days he reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Paul's saying, guys, you know the Christ, the, the Messiah that was prophesied about in our Old Testament scriptures over 300 times all throughout the Old Testament. You know that guy we've been looking for? Not only did we miss him, but we killed him. Jesus was the Christ. He was the Messiah. He was the one prophesied about that was God in human flesh that came to take away the sin of the world. And you can just almost imagine Paul in there as he's reasoning with them out of the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. You can just imagine him taking them to Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 where it says, But thou Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. You can imagine Paul saying, Do you realize that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, just like this passage says? And you can imagine Paul taking him to Hosea chapter 11 in verse 1, where it says, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. And you can just imagine Paul saying, just like the nation of Israel, this was pointing to the Messiah. And do you realize that Jesus spent time in his youth? in Egypt, and then ultimately left. And you can just imagine Paul taking them to Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah 9.9, where it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass or or a donkey. And you can just imagine Paul saying, Do you realize that Jesus rolled in on a donkey just like Zechariah prophesied about? And, and have you ever seen Psalm 41.9 where David prophesied and, and he said, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Do you know that that was fulfilled in Judas Iscariot, guys? After eating bread at the Last Supper, Judas betrayed Jesus. And not only that, but Zechariah eleven twelve 12, in verse 13, it predicted that he'd betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which is exactly what Judas did. And he could have gone on and on and on with hundreds more. 
But what Paul was doing was, he, he certainly was using the Bible, but he knew his audience. He understood that his audience would have been very familiar with those verses. And, and, and that as he went over them with them, that there would likely be some where they just had that light bulb moment where they understood who Jesus was and why he came. And it's very interesting to me because do you know where Paul starts just a few verses later when he's dealing with Gentiles that, would have, that wouldn't have had the same frame of reference as the Jews did about the Old Testament? Paul is in Athens at Mars Hill. He starts in a different place than he did with the Jews. You know where he starts? He starts with creation. Look at Acts chapter 17 and verse 22. Acts 17, 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill, and he said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. And here's where Paul starts with him. Verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. He starts with creation. Now that's not the only time he does that. In Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas, they're amongst Gentiles in Lystra. And, and Paul, he'd healed a crippled man. These people are basically starting to worship them because they've never seen such things. And Paul said in Acts 14, 15, and saying, Sirs, why do you do these things? We are also men of like passions with you and, and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God. And here it is, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. You see, he starts with creation when he's talking to them. And so, you know, it's like, are, are you saying that we don't take them to the Bible? Of course not. We only understand the details of creation from the Bible. Of course, we go to the Bible, but what I want us to see is Paul knew his audience, and he shared the message of the gospel accordingly. When he was with the Jews who understood the Old Testament, he started there. When he was with the Gentiles who wouldn't have had a file for the Old Testament law and, and prophets, he started with something you can't miss, the creation all around us that points to a creator. He started with them where they were. He knew his audience. Then letter F, letter F, he shared the gospel. He shared the gospel. Again, in, in Acts 17, 3, as they're, as they're in the synagogue in Thessalonica, it says, he was opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Okay, like we just saw here with the Jews in the synagogue, he's trying to get them to see that Jesus was the Christ. He was the Messiah, reasoning with them from the Old Testament scriptures. But regardless of whether he starts there or whether he starts with creation, he ultimately gets to the gospel. That's where this whole thing has to head, is that message has to come out of our mouth. Ultimately, he gets to the fact that Jesus is the Christ. He died, he was buried, he rose again, and he is the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He's the way, he's the only way. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, 
For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Listen, the message of the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, regardless of where Paul started, whether it was the Old Testament or whether it was creation. Ultimately, he had to get to that message of the gospel, and he found a way to be sure to give that message to people. The more we can find a way to give that message to people, by whatever means necessary that we can, to whoever we can, however we can, the better. It's the power of God unto salvation. And the last thing I want us to glean from how Paul started the church at Thessalonica is letter G. Letter G, I want us to glean the fact that he didn't please everybody, but some believed. He didn't please everybody, but some believed. Acts chapter 17 and verse 4. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy. They took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. You guys ever met a lewd fellow of the baser sort? You don't have to know what lewd means or baser means, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. I met me some lewd fellows of the baser sort. That brother over there, I'm not so sure about him. All right, he met lewd fellows of the baser sort, and he gathered a company, and he set all the city in an uproar, and they assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And what we learn is, is that we can go through all the proper steps that God wants, just like Paul did. We can go to the people. We can use our minds. We can use the infrastructure that's in place. We can know the scriptures. We can be reasonable. We can know our audience. We can share the gospel. And there will be people that reject it and reject us and people that don't like what we have to say one little bit. So expect that. But guess what the beauty is? It's what verse 4 says. Some of them will believe. It will all be worth it because though some people may treat you like trash because of the message you gave them, some believed. And that's what this thing is all about. Number four on your study sheet is the when and why. The when and why was it written? When and why was it written? When was the book of 1 Thessalonians written? And as far as the year is concerned, it was written in about... 52 to 54 AD, which makes it about 20 years after Christ's death. And, and, and that's the year, but here's the timeline as it relates to Paul's missionary journey. So like we were seeing in Acts 17, persecution starts coming in Thessalonica, right? And, and when, they, when they initially come through that first time in Thessalonica, that persecution comes, and it comes pretty fast. And when that persecution comes, Paul, Silas, and Timothy they bounce. Like they, they, they do get out of there. In the middle of the night, they head to Berea. They ultimately end up in Athens. But while they're in Athens, Paul can't help but keep thinking about these Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 17, here's, here's where we find that. It says, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, in other words, we had to bounce out of there because of the persecution that was coming, we were taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire 
He's saying we had to get out of there to flee that persecution, guys. But man, our heart has been with you ever since we left. Verse 18, wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. He says, we even tried to go back to see you guys, but Satan hindered us. Then in 1 Thessalonians 3.1, they say, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and we sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, our, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Okay, here's what Acts 17 tells us, that that persecution from Thessalonica, it followed them all the way to Berea. So they head out of there, and that persecution keeps coming towards Berea, and you think, oh my goodness, if they stink and followed us here, I wonder what's going on with those guys that believed in Thessalonica and how they're being treated. So Paul sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to see what's going on back there and, and and then timothy meets back up with the fellas and he brings a good report back to him and he's like they're just so relieved because they got this good report and then first thessalonians 3 6 says but now when timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity that ye have good remembrance of us always desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you okay so timothy brings back this good report and this is when Paul, along with Silas and, and Timothy, sits down, and this is when they write the book of 1 Thessalonians. So that's why he writes this letter. So in the verses that we looked at, we, we've actually answered the when and the why. We've seen the when, and then again, the why is because of that good report that Timothy brought back to, the, to Paul and Silas and that incredible care that they had for the Thessalonians, and they just had to correspond with these people. They just couldn't hold it back anymore, and this is why the book of 1 Thessalonians get written. Okay, so we've seen the who, the where, the how, the when, and the why of the book of 1 Thessalonians, and if we can keep that Sherlock Holmes hat on just a little bit longer, let's look at the what. What is it about? What, it, what is the book of 1 Thessalonians about? And obviously, over the coming months, we're going to be answering that question in a, lot of, in a lot of detail, but what I believe is the best way to answer that question, the book of 1 Thessalonians is about preparing us for the coming of the Lord. It's about preparing us for the coming of the Lord. And I don't just make that up. The way, I'll show you how I got that. For, in, 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 and for a group of, of people living in the last of the last days like we are, I can't think of a more relevant book for us to study together. The, the coming of the Lord. Jesus is going to rapture believers in Jesus Christ off this planet. He's going to meet us in the sky. That's the event we're waiting for right now. After Jesus meets us in the sky at the, at the rapture, that's going to usher in the tribulation period. And then after that, the second coming, which ushers in what we know as the millennium, where Jesus sets up shop on this planet. There are no other prophecies that stand in the way of the Lord's return. He could meet us in the sky at the rapture. It could literally be any moment. And I believe that what God did was he included this book in the canon of Scripture, and certainly to teach us truths and to teach the church truths all throughout the church age. 
But this book has a special application for those of us that could be right on the cusp of the Lord's return. And the reason I say that is for a couple reasons. And one of them is because, do you realize that there's a reference to the return of Christ in the last few verses of every single chapter in the book of 1 Thessalonians? They can't quit talking about it. Number one in your study sheet, each chapter mentions it. Yes. The last verse of 1 Thessalonians 1 in verse 10, 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. The, the second to last verse of chapter 2, it says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? The last verse of chapter 3, it says, To the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. The second to last verse of chapter 4, it says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And towards the end of chapter 5, it says, in the very God of peace, sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, do you think that by repeating the theme of Christ's return over and over and over again in every chapter, do you think he's trying to get our attention about something? God, God's saying, I want you to be prepared for the return of of the Lord, and I'm going to teach you how to do that in the book of First Thessalonians. And, and, you know, and, and prophecy about the end times and the rapture and the second coming, y'all, that can be a whole lot of fun to dig into and talk about and debate about and all that stuff. It can be fun to investigate. It can be fun to look at all the details of that thing. But the prophecy of Christ's return is not to just sit around and talk about and figure all the ins and outs of it about. It's so that it gets in our lives it needs to get in our life, not just our theology. In other words, it should be a call to action. It should change the way that we live. Otherwise, knowing the return of Christ is soon doesn't do us a whole lot of good. There's, a, there, there's another reason why I believe this book is in our Bible, especially to prepare those of us living in the last days for the coming of the Lord. You see, Revelation 2 and 3 John writes seven letters to seven churches in Asia Minor. And, and if you've been around here for a while, you've gotten familiar with the prophetic application of these seven letters. Because now we have most of church history in our rearview mirror, and, and, and we understand that there's a connection to, way that, to the way that these seven churches are described in Revelation 2 and 3 to the way that church history unfolded. And I won't have time to do it justice, but, I w but I'll explain it just a little bit. There were seven letters written to seven real churches, where also from a prophetic standpoint, it pictures for us seven periods of church history. We are now living in the last and final period of church history prior to Jesus meeting us in the sky at the rapture. That period of church history is called the Laodicean church period. I know many of you understand that. Because this period of time, when we look at it, it lines up 
with the last of the seven letters written by John to seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. This last letter was written to the church at Laodicea. And I want you to see how these people, or more specifically, how this period of church history that we're currently living in, I want you to see how it's described. Revelation 3 and verses 14 and 16. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. What are, what are, what are the works that describe the day and time we're living in? That thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. God says, the fact that you're lukewarm in this age, it disgusts me. It makes me want to hurl. Decide what it's going to be, man. Is it going to be me or is it going to be the world? Which is it? I wish you would just choose is what God says. And that's exactly what describes our our day and time that we're living in to a T. We're not cold. We're not hot. We're just lukewarm. But do you know what the word Thessalonians just happens to mean? Check this out. It means the hot springs. You know a good way to resolve the problem of being lukewarm? Hot springs. And I think maybe what God wants to teach us through this study is that for a group of people characterized as being lukewarm, God has something special for us if we follow what we learn in 1 Thessalonians. And instead of our lives being characterized by being lukewarm, they'll be characterized by hot springs. And what I love is that it doesn't just mean hot water. I think hot water would have been cool too. But you know what hot springs do? It just keeps on pumping, doesn't it? It just, keeps, it just keeps on coming. It doesn't run out. And I don't know if there's anything that's more of a testament to that than how the book of Acts describes these, these believers in Thessalonica. We, we've been in chapter 17 of Acts for a good portion of this message this morning. And, and we talked earlier about that persecution that, that came from those that didn't believe in Thessalonica. And so what happens is, check this out. Some of the Jews that didn't believe, they're ticked off. The Bible says they, are, they assault the house of Jason looking for Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Where are those guys? Acts 17, 6 says, listen, I know you filled your last blank out in the study sheet. Don't let me lose you. Acts 17, 6. And when they found them not at the house of Jason, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Man, what an unbelievable way to be described. These that have turned the world upside down. This is actually how their enemies are describing them, not realizing how big of a compliment that was. Wouldn't that be amazing if that was said of us? You think the ship has sailed on that thing, or or do you think God still wants to use his churches in the same way today? 
I can tell you this, if a church actually adhered to the teachings of 1 Thessalonians that we'll be studying that has a special application to those of us that are right on the cusp of the Lord's return, I think we would actually turn the world upside down. It's so dark in Christianity today that that light would so shine from a church whose lives are like hot springs. It would shine so bright that we probably would turn the world upside down, just like that little church at Thessalonica did. But man, what if we just started with our own city? What if we just started by shooting to turn our city upside down and we worked our way out? Man, we, we, we learn a lot from just, the, from just gleaning the practical things from how Paul reached the Thessalonians with the gospel. We glean, we glean a lot from that. He went to the people. He used the mind that God gave him. He used the infrastructure that was in place. He knew the scriptures. He was reasonable. He knew his audience, and he didn't please everybody, but some believed. And I believe that God wants us to continue to learn from them as we move forward in this series and as we prepare for the coming of the Lord. And maybe, just maybe, we can be a church that's filled with hot springs in a lukewarm age that turns the world upside down. Jesus, we, we thank you for your supernatural book, for the way that you preserved it, for the way that you inspired it, and for all the things that we glean when we actually sit and take the time to study it and dig into it. We approach it as it is in truth, the word of God, not the word of men, and we, and, and we compare scripture with scripture, and we attempt to keep your words in the context in which they were written for your name and glory's sake, and I pray, God, that we would apply the things that we learned from how the, how the church at Thessalonica was started. And God, I, I pray that as the series continues, that we would learn to be a church filled with hot springs in a lukewarm age. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I ask you to stand and